And Joel's going to come and read for us our first reading this morning. Jesus washes his disciples' feet. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in focus. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You don't need to realise now what I am doing, but you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon replied, It's not just my feet, but my hands and hit my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he did not say everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so. For that is what I am. Now I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as what I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you have done all these things, you will be blessed if you do them. The reading continues from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, at uh, verse 18. Jesus predicts his betrayal. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me and whoever accepts me accepts the one who who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly, I tell you, One of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, 
do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. If you knew you had only 24 hours left to live, you're not ill, you're not in hospital, what do you think you would do? You might visit family or friends, eat your favourite meal, go for a walk, or you might just sit and do nothing. We've now reached the part in John's Gospel, the last 24 hours of Jesus' life, and there's a lot to think about in the coming chapters. So as I say in this journey, we've come to part two. If you're reading a novel, you finish a chapter, you turn over and it goes part two. You know the story is going to continue, but the focus of the book might change a bit. And the chapter 13 today starts the second half of John's Gospel, the Book of Glory. The first 12 chapters have been the Book of Signs, and it's centred on Jesus' public ministry. He provided a series of signs and explanations. His audience was wide-ranging. He met with a large variety of different people from all levels of society. He often provoked a crisis of faith, and he often divided his listeners. But now, from the rest, from chapters 13 to 21, in this book of glory, our attention shifts to Jesus' private ministry, to the hour of his glorification in the cross. This has been promised throughout the gospel, but now the attention really focuses on it. His audience narrows down to his disciples. The focus moves from the signs that Jesus has done, evidence of his identity, which he showed by his remarkable works and his miraculous doings. It moves to the hour. In the book of signs, there was always a link between a sign and an explanation. When Jesus offered a sign, he generally always explained it afterwards to show the deeper meaning. For example, in chapters 8 and 9, Jesus explains he is the light of the world and he then heals a blind man. But now, in the book of glory, there is one major sign. Jesus' death on the cross. And his teaching explains this. Verse 1 gives us an introduction to this book of glory. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Here John mentions the Passover. And we know by now, having read the rest of the the gospel, that when John mentions a Passover, something really important is about to happen. And we generally understand that Jesus applies the meaning of what is about to happen to himself. In chapter 1, Jesus was portrayed as the Passover lamb. In chapter 2, he spoke of the temple being destroyed and rebuilt. And he was talking about his own body. Now Jesus is back in Jerusalem for his final Passover festival. And although John recounts the story of this final meal in a different way. He emphasizes something different from the other three Gospels. The meaning of what Jesus does 
in the washing of their feet still gives us an indication of what is to come and tells us something about who this Jesus is. Jesus knew that the hour had come. Jesus knew that this time was different. For elsewhere in the gospel, we've often read Jesus saying, my hour has not yet come. But now Jesus declares quite strongly, the hour has come. The hour is now. It's here. And Jesus knows it. He knows what is to come. He knows what he has to face and to go through before he goes back to the Father. This is the word that we read about from chapter 1, who was with the Father from the beginning, became flesh in this world, was now going to face death on the cross and resurrection before returning to the Father. This is the hour that Jesus speaks of. And what he is about to do is done because of love. He loved them to the end. He loved them to the uttermost. There was nothing that love could do for them that he did not do. Verse 3 gives us another glimpse of the full picture of what Jesus was about to do and who he was. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew that he had all things. He had power. He could use the power if he so desired. But he knew there was a plan. He knew the plan that he had come from God. He was going to suffer and then he was going to return to God. He knew these things. So what did Jesus do? He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. This Jesus, this son of God, the one who was with God in the beginning, the one who had all things in his power, this Jesus proceeded to go round the table and washed the disciples' feet. Now, as we heard from Ray earlier, feet washing wasn't usually something that was done by somebody of high status. It was normally done by a slave. It was seen as a degrading and lowly task. You wouldn't find someone with high status washing the feet of someone beneath them. But here we see Jesus taking off his outer clothing and wrapping a towel round himself and taking on the form of a slave. He humbles himself and becomes a servant. And this happened during the meal. We've often sometimes think of it happened before the meal. When they came in from the streets, they might have got their feet washed. But this hadn't happened, or if it had, it was happening again. There is something really important in this. It was during the meal. It wasn't something that Jesus suddenly thought, oh, look, nobody's had their feet washed today. Oh, I better go and do it. This was intentional. Jesus did it for a purpose. When Jesus comes again, we will see him displayed in all the glory of God and the splendors of heaven. But on this evening, the robes of glory he wore were a servant's towel. 
The scepter of power was a washbasin. This is our God, the servant king. And this is the first act that Jesus does in the second part of the book of John. He knows the time was here. Soon he would be betrayed, arrested and executed. Now it's not perhaps the first thing we would think of doing if we were in that situation or if we knew we had 24 hours to live. And I wonder what the disciples made of it. Most of them seemed to accept it. Perhaps they didn't even realise it was Jesus. Until Jesus reaches Peter. Good old Peter, always the first in. I really like Peter, he's got some fantastic things that he says. He expresses concern, but he doesn't fully understand what's going on. But he couldn't, because the end of the story had not happened yet. Don't be too hard on Peter. In verse 8, it's quite a key verse to understand the story. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So what Jesus is saying is that on this night, when his hour has come, at this Passover meal, when he washes their feet, he is pointing forward to the work he will do on the cross. On the cross, Jesus washes sins away. And only those who have been washed by him can have any part in him. They will share in the victory of the cross, know the forgiveness of their sins, and share in the adoption of children of the Father. These are the blessings that are made real in the lives of those who are washed, who have been made clean by Jesus. Now we just have to submit to the work of salvation that Jesus does for us. There is nothing we can do to earn it. There are no deeds we can do to satisfy God. Only the blood of Jesus shed for us on the cross does that. Then, of course, as usual with Peter, he jumps straight in and wants more. And he asks Jesus, well, don't just wash my feet, wash all of me. What about my head and my hands? And Jesus says, it's okay, Peter, you don't need that. That's already been done. And again, it's a picture of what Jesus does for us on the cross. You don't need any other washing. We cannot add anything to the work Jesus will do on the cross. When Jesus washed their feet in that room, the disciples were passive. They had to let Jesus do this for them. They don't do anything other than submit. They allow Jesus to wash their feet. They humbly submit. And that is what we are to do, to humbly submit to the work on the cross without trying to add anything of our own to it. And in this act of washing feet, Jesus points to his work on the cross. He shows his love to the end. Jesus loves extravagantly, generously, without thinking of himself. He gives a wonderful example of love. And then he asks us to wash one another's feet. Now, I don't think he means that literally. We don't need to start washing each other's feet when we come in on a Sunday morning. But we are to follow the example of his extravagant and generous love. We're not to be above other people, look down on anyone. We are to seek out where 
and when and how we can show Jesus' love to those around us. And it might be different for each one of us, but we have to find that act of service and do it. We need to follow the example of our servant king. Now, loving others can be painful. I'm sure you all are aware of that. And this passage also illustrates that today. Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed, and he knew by whom. He knew that the devil had already prompted Judas and what was going to happen. For right at the beginning of the chapter, there is that verse there that says the devil was already prompting Judas. But you know Jesus still loved Judas. He had called Judas to be his disciple in the same way he called Matthew or Bartholomew or Peter or any of them. He loved Judas in the same way that he loved the other disciples. He washed the feet of Judas in the same way he washed the others. And in the same way he washes yours and mine. Jesus welcomed Judas to that upper room and shared bread with him. He loved Judas and Judas betrayed him as Jesus knew he was going to do. Now there are many theories, many pages and many books written about why do we think Judas did that? But you know, the scripture doesn't tell us why. Maybe we don't need to know why. The important thing to reflect on is how Jesus reacts and what Jesus does and know about Judas. Now, to the other disciples, Judas was just one of them. He hadn't given any indication. They had no idea that somebody was about to betray them. And even when Judas left the room... They still didn't understand what was happening. But Jesus washed the feet of Judas as well, which is something to reflect on. Now, during the meal, it was common practice to dip a piece of bread into the common dish and offer it to someone else. It can be seen as a sign of a special friendship. The disciples might have seen Jesus honoring Judas in some way. And Jesus said that his betrayer is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Judas then does this and hands the piece of bread to Judas. And at that point we read that Satan entered into him. This is the point of no return for Judas. His fate is now sealed. Judas goes out into the night, into the darkness. Judas, who has been with Jesus all along, heard all his teaching, seen all the miracles, had his feet washed by Jesus, ate the last supper with Jesus. He turns from the light and goes out into the darkness. And I think Jesus can be seen as a warning for all of us. Jesus saw the light but chose the darkness. One of the commentators that I read said, Judas is the reminder that every day is judgment day and that on any day some faithful follower like Judas, like you, or like me might turn tail on the light and stumble out into the darkness, caught up in evil or caught up by evil's prince. Each of us, like Judas, 
has to choose between following the light or giving in to the darkness. Now, we know that the darkness is never really very far away, and we need to guard against it. We need to stay close to the light. We need to stay close to Jesus each and every day to bring our struggles to him and to guard against the darkness. So the question is for you today, are you choosing the light or giving in to the darkness? The confrontation between the light and the darkness, which has been seen throughout this gospel, is now moving to its climax. Light or dark? What are you choosing this day? What have you chosen in your life? Amen.